This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance. Today I'd like to speak about the duties of the public insurance adjuster. Most policyholders do not have the in-house capability to investigate, evaluate, and negotiate significant property insurance losses. While some losses, such as a small fire loss, requiring only minor repairs may be dealt with easily. Others, which involve more complex damages and different potential causes of loss, are much harder to assess. Resolving them may require expertise in understanding the scope of coverage provided by the applicable property insurance policy scientific or other specialized background to determine the cause of a specific loss, the ability to determine the cost to repair or replace the damaged property, and the calculation of the amount of a time element, that is, business interruption type loss. In such cases, the policyholder may wish to engage a public insurance adjuster, a PA. PAs are licensed by almost every state, and their contract forms must be approved by the state. All PAs claim to be experts on property loss adjustment. Most are. They represent only policyholders in fulfilling the duty to prepare, file, and adjust insurance claims. The PA should handle every detail of the claim, working closely with the policyholder and the insurer to obtain a prompt and reasonable settlement. PAs invariably charge a contingency fee. When seeking an assignment, the PA will present the contingency fee to the insured as a fait accompli. Every person seeking the service of a PA must be aware that the PA's fee is negotiable. The insured should negotiate with the various representatives of PA firms who seem to flock to a fire scene like bees to honey and other lost sites and try to obtain the lowest contingency fee as possible should be the obligation of the insured. Negotiating with a PA is much like negotiating to buy a vase at a estate sale. One never pays the asking price. If there are multiple representatives from PA firms seeking to provide service, it is appropriate and necessary to play them against each other to obtain a fair contingency since whatever the PA takes will be funds not available to repair or replace the damaged or destroyed property. For a major loss, more than one PA will arrive at a site seeking a contract. Rates can be negotiated from a low of 3% to a high of 40%, although the average charge for a run-of-the-mill loss is between 10 and 15%. When considering a PA, the insured must take into account the skill, experience, and reputation of the firm. 
the insured must also understand the fact that even if the insurer pays the full amount of the loss, the cost of the adjuster's fee may not leave enough funds to fully repair the damaged structure. If the insured is a busy professional, his or her time may be more valuable to the family or the business than the fee paid to the PA, who will take on the arduous task of putting together a complete proof of loss. The public adjuster contract is technically an assignment of a portion of the policy proceeds due to the policyholder from the insurer. To protect the ability to be paid, the assignment gives the PA ownership of a percentage of any claim payment. Upon being retained, the professional PA will often do nothing until the three-day cancellation provision most states require be in every PA contract. Then, whether immediately or after the expiration of the cancellation provision, the PA should, one, immediately inspect the law site, two, meet at the scene with the insurer's adjuster to set a scope of loss, three, analyze the damages, four, assemble the necessary support for the claim presentation, 5. Review the coverage to determine the portions of the loss which are covered. 6. Assess the value of the loss. and 7. Negotiate with the insurance company to reach an end result. States like California license and regulate public insurance adjusters. Their contracts are subject to approval by the insurance departments in the states in which they operate. For example, in the state of Michigan, a public insurance adjuster is required to apply for and obtain a license through the Department of Insurance and Financial Services prior to representing any insureds who have suffered loss covered by insurance for fire or other hazards. In Texas, Chapter 4102 expressly prohibits a person from acting as a public insurance adjuster in Texas without a license. It requires that a person may not act as a public insurance adjuster in Texas or hold himself or herself out to be a public insurance adjuster in the state unless the person holds a license issued by the commissioner. The term person is defined as including a corporation and a public insurance adjuster is a person who, for direct, indirect, or any other compensation, acts on behalf of an insured in negotiating for or effecting the settlement of a claim or claims while acting as a public insurance adjuster, and also includes advertising, soliciting, business, and holding oneself out to the public as an adjuster of claims. A licensed public insurance adjuster is expressly prohibited from participating directly or indirectly in the reconstruction, 
repair or restoration of damaged property that is the subject of a claim adjusted by the license holder acting as a public insurance adjuster and a contractor on the same claim is statutorily defined as a conflict of interest. Usually, when a PA is involved, the insurer's settlement payments will name both the insured and the public adjuster. The validity of a post-loss assignment was approved by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court in a case called Egger v. Gulf Insurance, although the judgment did not involve a first-party case. It applied law that has been adopted in other states. Similarly, in Insurance Adjustment Bureau versus Allstate Insurance, the policyholder's house suffered a serious fire loss and the policyholders retained Insurance Adjustment Bureau as their public adjuster. The contract called for a fee to IAB of 10% of any recovery plus expenses. IAB sued Allstate. IAB did not sue the policyholder because they had spent all of the money and were essentially judgment-proof. The Supreme Court of Pennsylvania reversed holdings in favor of Allstate by both the trial court and the superior court. The Supreme Court held that the issue was not whether there was an assignment, but what type of assignment the parties intended. If the parties intended an assignment for the purpose of collection, it created a revocable agency relationship. If, on the other hand, it was an assignment for the purpose of security, the assignment was irrevocable once the contract was partially performed. The court therefore reversed and remanded so that the intent of the parties could be determined. The Supreme Court concluded that the Eighth Circuit found a threshold question and one which the trial court and the superior court did not address was whether this non-transfer provision was merely intended to make the policy itself not transferable such as in the event the property changed ownership, or whether it was additionally intended to exclude an assignment of insurance benefits after a loss. If the latter was intended, and the provision is enforceable in the post-loss time frame, then the assignment is void and IAB's case would fail. In most jurisdictions, it has been held that a policy may not be assigned, but a claim against a policy can be assigned. The lesson for all parties to a public adjuster contract is that while assignments after a loss may be valid, they should be clearly expressed to eliminate any ambiguity about the extent and nature of the interest assigned. Further, if the insured intends to void a contract with a public adjuster, as happened in the IAB case, he or she should do so in accordance with the contract. That is within 72 hours of signing the contract. Insurers should, before paying an insured without naming the public adjuster on the payment, obtain either the permission of the public adjuster in writing 
or a viable hold harmless and indemnity agreement from a viable insured with sufficient funds to take care of any dispute. The IAB litigation could and should have been avoided had permission been obtained. Recent statutes in California and other jurisdictions now require public insurance adjusters to take 12 hours of continuing education, including ethics training, every year to maintain their license. When a public insurance adjuster exceeds his or her authority and attempts to defraud an insurer on behalf of the adjuster's client, the standard concealment or fraud provision precludes the insurers from obtaining any recovery under their policies as the claim submitted by their public adjuster in his capacity as their agent was fraudulent the Texas legislature has statutorily made a contract that is void for illegality under the common law, enforceable or voidable at the option of the least culpable party, the insured. And when a person contracts with the insured to perform services as a public insurance adjuster but does not have a public insurance adjuster's license, he gets nothing. In U.S. v. SADA, the Third Circuit held that in 1990, the people appealing contracted Ezra Rishti, Isaac's cousin, for help in an insurance fraud scheme. Rishti was a public insurance adjuster in New York City who had conspired with various clients in over 200 fraudulent insurance schemes in the past. Rishti agreed to assist Isaac in filing a fraudulent insurance claim and enlisted the help of Morris Beta, a former employee who by then owned his own business. Rishti also enlisted the help of Sal Marcello, a general adjuster for Chubb Insurance Group, which was the insured's insurer. Marcello assured Risti that Chubb would assign him to handle the future Scrimshaw claim, and then in U.S. v. Lem, the Eighth Circuit, found the scheme to defraud insurers was defeated with the testimony of a putative P.A. The putative PA explained to the trial court that the arson and insurance fraud activities underlying the convictions of various defendants resulted from fire to fire, but a general scenario was summarized by Eugene P. Gamps, the government's chief witness, who was a public insurance adjuster licensed in Minnesota. The government case showed that at some point in the early 1970s, Gamps began mixing his legitimate adjustment activities with arson, eventually becoming the center of an arson ring that was alleged to have existed from 1975 to 1978. The basic mode of operation was that Gamps occasionally 
Using another co-conspirator would recruit an individual to start an arson fire for insurance proceeds. Gamps would instruct the individual how to start the fire, how to act, and what to tell the authorities. After the fire, Gamps would pose as a legitimate public adjuster of an accidental fire. Occasionally, Gamps would also act as a private contractor and repair the fire damage in order to obtain a larger portion of the insurance proceeds. The roles of the other conspirators, including providing seed money for the purchases of property, locating property for burning, providing property to be burned, preparing and torching the property, and recruiting others to the scheme resulted in criminal convictions. This is something no public insurance adjuster should ever be involved in. But it does happen occasionally, and the claims representatives of insurers must be aware of that potential when dealing with a claim where the insured has retained a public insurance adjuster who has not met the high ethical standards required by the National Association of Public Insurance Adjusters. This video was adapted from my book, Zelma on Insurance Claims, Part 103, Third Edition, which is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be interesting or useful to your colleagues, please pass it on. It's free. And please also subscribe to my YouTube channel, my Rumble channel, clicking on both the like and the rumble buttons as you do, and subscribe to my blog and my Substack publications so that you can be advised of future blog postings and future videos. Thank you for your attention.